that's how you build the clientele that you want. And that's how you build the practice that you want is not saying the thing that's going to bring everybody in. It's saying the thing that's true to you that other people hear and say, that's what I want in my veterinarian. From Hamster Wheel Publishing, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nickel. On today's show, I am joined by my good friend, Dr. Andy Rourke. Andy is one of the hottest properties in veterinary medicine with good reason. He's a tireless networker, innovator, and one of the best presenters on the vet speaking circuit. His accolades to date include winning the NAVC Speaker of the Year not once, not twice, but three times over. That's just showing off. He also created and presents the Cone of Shame YouTube show and has founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference. Much of this being possible because he's built one of the largest personal brands in the veterinary industry, amassing well over 200,000 fans on Facebook along the way to becoming a social media personality, a phenomenon that makes it truly a pain in the backside trying to have a quiet drink at the bar with him at any vet conference on the planet. Such is the omnipresent demand for selfies with Andy, or Rorkies, as I now decided to call them. Hope that sticks. Anyway, we had a great chat and got stuck into some awesome topics, including what inspired Dr. Rourke into becoming a vet, why networking is an essential part of having a great career, and how you can be a great networker too, how to build a personal brand, and how to do social media without it taking over your life. Andy shares why despite his huge Facebook following, he's actually removed the Facebook app from his phone. We also cover the best advice he received from Dr. Marty Becker, why advice, even his own, should sometimes be taken with a large pinch of salt, and we learn about his uncharted vet community. This episode was a pleasure from start to finish. Often, by the time I publish a blog, book, article or podcast, I'm kind of getting to the point of being sick of it. Such is the effort and detail focus required to create content of a quality anyone would want to consume regularly. Hopefully we're hitting the mark here as a little sidebar. This podcast episode, however, was a rare exception. There is great advice aplenty from Dr. Rourke, of course, but there is also flow, humor, warmth, and candor woven throughout the conversation that made it a great interview to perform and work on afterwards. Of course, that's just my take. You get to be judge. So sit back, plug in, and enjoy my conversation with the humbly available Dr. Andy Rourke. So we're here at... Kansas City, CVC, 2007. I don't know why I'm speaking with a stupid <laughs> accent. <laughs> you always speak with a stupid accent. Well, I'm doing your stupid oh, accent right. for once. It's not okay. even you. I think it was Larry King's stupid. It was Larry King. It was like Larry Rourke's accent mm. that I just did. So, <laughs> so, we're, so this is the, the worst start for a podcast ever. Um, we are in a very large, empty, but wonderfully acoustic room that we will be presenting in. Later on, I'm, I'm with the venerable. Probably not. Probably not. How would you describe what word should or adjective? Available. Avail- <laughs> Hireable. The available the, Dr. Andy Rourke. The available. Can you um, define available a little more? Well, it was, I had a hole in my schedule and you had a microphone, so here we are. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> I thought you were just pitching <laughs> for speaking gigs right there. No. no. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. No. The humble <laughs> no, Dr. Andy Rourke. Wait, let me tell you how humble I am <laughs> because I'd really. <laughs> and we are, we are in Kansas City. And if you've never been to Kansas, this is a place of music and barbecue pits. Mm-hmm. And since I went vegan, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago, I will be mostly existing on music for the next next four days. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, so I often have a plan of, of conversation that we're going to go through. And um, usually what we start with is just a little background to the, the one or two people on Planet Veterinary Medicine that haven't heard of you. So tell us a little bit about your sort of backstory, your sort of journey in veterinary medicine and and just, you know, the upbringing, the sort of things that, that sort of drove you toward it and attracted you toward veterinary medicine. Yeah, I... Um so where to begin? I, my father was a general surgeon, and so uh, you know, for for people, he only worked on the one species. It was a little a little disappointment, but um, but we forgave him. So so uh, he was an, an MD, and uh, and I kind of grew up in a in a small town in North Carolina, and um, you know, as the, as the the surgeon in the town, you know, a lot of people kind of knew him and and sort of would seek him out and, and, and that had a, a big impact on me about what it meant to be sort of successful is, you know, the way that people would come and, and thank him for, for helping them and helping their family and, you know, tell him and tell me about the good that he did. I think that was a, that was a big deal and a big motivator for me. So, so that type of, of sort of having that impact and that service meant a lot. Within like being part of a community. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And yeah. so I, I always thought that that's what I wanted to do. And then I got to college and my dad said, he's like, you know, son, not sure that I would start over now in medicine. And he was talking about, again, medical school. And I started really looking around and, and, and the medicine, you know, God, in this country, it's, it's, it's a disaster. I mean, we got, we got real problems with, with healthcare. And, uh, and I think he was right. And so then I, it kind of sent me spiraling, honestly. I ended up going to graduate school because I wanted to teach and uh, working on a PhD. But I really just kind of chafed under the bureaucracy, honestly. So I kind of wrapped up, bailed on that after a while. And what was your first uh, degree? So I got a bachelor's degree in North Carolina and uh, at a little school called Davidson College, and then I went to Florida, University of Florida. And what, I what was I, the subjects for the bachelor's? So oh, it was biology, yeah, and medical humanities co- uh, concentration. So even then, it's like the medical ethics stuff was always interesting to me. Yeah. And so anyway, so when I went to Florida, uh, I went to the Department of Zoology, and I was going to get a PhD, and ended up wrapping up getting a master's degree. And I was married to my wife at the time, and she was uh, halfway through her PhD program, and, and she wasn't going anywhere, and I wasn't going anywhere without her. And so, so honestly, I applied to one vet school, which was Florida, and I was, I was blessed and lucky to get in, and that was that. So what pulled you in the veterinary direction? So you're casting around looking for something to do. Not sure about medicine. Uh, actually, one other question occurs to me just now is, do you thank your father for that that decision? Oh yeah, oh yeah. In hindsight, no, I'm I, I would not want to be on human healthcare. Like no thanks. There's just so many things I don't like about it, and there's so many things I love about vet medicine that are not possible there. So yeah, it ended up being the best thing ever. But honestly, part of it was, um, you know, sometimes you look at your skills. And say, what what am I qualified to do? And that that was part of it. And I and I downplaying a little bit. You know, I'd worked at the National Zoo. Um, I'd worked at the National Zoo of Health in between college and grad school. You know, and I'd done the research and stuff in zoology. I, I have a bit more of a background than I than I maybe led on to. But 
ultimately it really was about staying local and then using these skills and doing the things I wanted. And vet medicine just made sense. I mean, I, I've always liked medicine. I really liked fixing things. And yeah. I, I wasn't getting that feeling of like daily accomplishment in grad school. Yeah. You know, like when you're doing research, you're looking way down the road and trying to tell yourself you're making a difference. And I just, I just wasn't getting what I needed there. So, so this was very much more of a, like, you know, take a pet, fix it. And an immediate and then, sort of turnaround. Exactly. And then you get that validation from the community that I sort of grew up seeing a success. And so it really just became a, a beautiful thing, really kind of gave me what I needed. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I went into vet medicine. Okay. Now, I don't want to cast around in the past too much. There's lots of really cool stuff for us to talk about. But what were the some of the bigger moments in your career and how did they kind of come about? You, you've got an interesting journey and a, and a trajectory, I think, that's a little different. Um, you sort of almost, not bipolar in, in, in your career sense, but you've kept a foot very much in the camp of general practice and being in the exam room. And a lot of the work we've done together has, has come around that way. But also you've you've got this other much bigger expanding part of your career as a media personality within the space. So how did that come about and, and what were the sort of bigger moments and decision points in your career along the way? Honestly, there was a, a big break right at the very beginning. So I was at orientation in vet school and the guy comes up to introduce some of the student clubs and he introduced the VBMA, which is a Veterinary Business Management Association. And it was just getting started across the country. There's about 12 chapters, I think, at the time. And he just started talking about business education and running your own hospital and what that meant. And the, you know, the part of me that really craves freedom and autonomy just, just went right to it. I was like, that is what it is. I didn't know that that was a thing that existed. You know, owning a hospital, that just, the idea of, of, of having that type of control and just making the culture you wanted to make and making the place that you would then work inside of just, it just caught me right away by the imagination. And I just threw myself into that. And so honestly, that was, that was probably the biggest decision ever was to go and get involved in this student group because it really just started me down this road. And I just fell passionately in love with, with the, the management side and the communication part of, of vet medicine. And uh, man, it opened up all these doors for networking because everybody will talk to a vet student. If you say, hey, I'm looking for advice, I'm a vet student. And we have the most generous, kindest profession ever. And so these people will totally help you out. And so my, my connection started to, to, to grow from there. I was thinking about the presenting and stuff that I do. Those were the first opportunities where anybody ever wanted to hear what I had to say is because I was you know, running this club and then Later on, I was, I was running the, the national organization as the president, and it's just by being in love with it. And it opened up these opportunities to start presenting and doing, and I was presenting about something that I was passionate about and I just loved. And people were just like, man, you, you're, you're so passionate about this. You, you love what you're doing, and, and you could just tell. And that was really a, a, you know, a, huge, a huge deal for me. When I, I'm... One of the things that's always really come across from you and impressed you... Um, impressed me about you is you know networking if I if I if I had to pull one word out and say what's Andy about and I would always say networking like this guy is like a champion networker and I wonder if you have any sort of advice because a lot of people feel quite uncomfortable I was I was interviewing um, Professor Stuart Carmichael on last month's podcast and He's a guy who's always been like one of my veterinary heroes, not somebody you would ever have thought of as being quite introverted. He said it used to 
not, I don't think he used the words terrified, but he said like, he just really wasn't comfortable in that situation. You and I are probably more on the extroverted scale of things, but there's an awful lot of introverted people within the, within the profession who struggle in those sort of more social situations, who, uh, who have a hard time making those network connections. What strategies, techniques, tips, like have you always been just a really awesome networker or what? Is it something that comes naturally to you or have you had to work at, okay, here are the things I find worked, the things didn't work? Yeah. Um, so the answer is, is no. I, d- I don't think I was always a, a big networker um, or even nearly the extrovert that I've sort of trained myself to become over time. The essence of networking for me is really this, and, and a lot of our introvert colleagues hate to hear it, but you got, you got to do this. And one of my friends, um, you know, Dr. Jessica Vogelsang, yeah. and she's, um, she's amazing. She, she writes a lot for, for the website. Um, Paul Dr. Curious. For Paul Curious, yep. uh, for DrAndyRourke.com. Yep. Um, she's, she's actually the editor over at that site. Yep. And so she was doing a talk recently for veterinarians that were thinking about leaving clinical practice. And one of the, the number one tips she gave was, you've got to network. Yeah. You've got to know people so that you have options to do other things. And, and someone raised their hand and was like, what if we don't want to do that? <laughs> and she said, you've got to. And you do. You have to. Well, that's, that's such a super awesome point. Cause, and maybe, so w- one of the big pain points that I see in our profession at the moment, and I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion on this, is that we seem to be throwing an awful lot, like we're opening new vet schools all mm-hmm. the time. Like we're throwing more mud at the wall in the hope that more of it will stick but we're you know that wall's pretty slippy and a lot of people are feeling like the the um surveys from the royal college of veterinary servants uh, surgeons in the uk blew my mind with the the percentage of new graduates is something like now again i forget the exact number if it was 40 or 60 percent but it was a big number of undergraduate new graduate veterinarians within the first 12 weeks their job leave Mm-hmm. go someplace else so they're already being disenfranchised at an early stage and and i think one of the reasons i don't know if in the u.s there's such a hard time hiring um experienced veterinary talent but certainly in the uk and australia is hang on near impossible within sort of six to eight months to actually find a, a vet to work in your practice and i think a lot of that is vets are just leaving clinical practice like they're not having a good time they're finding another area be it pharma be it whatever moving out of there so they're not in the general practice talent pool anymore and it strikes me that if they give it a shot if they networked and they really learned how to find their home the place that fits what they need that would be a better move than just jumping straight off because it seems like it's a tragedy for to go to grad school then vet school and in the uk it's just vet school but to do something that you always wanted to do since you were 10 or something, and then you, you get there, and within sort of six months, you're like, I don't know if this is for me, based on one or maybe two jobs. It yeah. strikes me as a massive waste of resource and a tragedy. I completely agree. Um, no, you've got to have options. No matter where you are in your career, there's nothing more valuable than having options. And there's nothing more just depressing than feeling like you don't have options. I mean, that's yeah. real desperation when you're yeah. like, stuck in this job it sucks and i don't know where else to go i I guess i'm just gonna i'm just gonna quit and go home and and you go what are you thinking there's a million things you could do right there i mean there's there's other practices there's other styles of medicine you could get into there's maybe you could add other skills like acupuncture physical therapy behavior whatever lights your fire you i mean you could go into industry you could go you know 
you could go into um, be a technical services veterinarian, you go to work for the government. There's a million things, but but we don't we don't see those things because our network is not big enough, and we don't know that they exist. So the keys, and there's a couple of them. Um, if you really want the tactics on how to network, there's a book called Never Eat Alone. I do not care for the the author of the book. He's kind of a pompous jerk. His name is um, Keith Ferrazzi. And I mean, he just opinions come, expressed are that of yeah, Dr. Totally. New York, not necessarily Keith, the blood dissection podcast. <laughs> yeah, Keith, if you're out there, I love your book, but but you come off as a jerk. He just he just he seems like a know it all, and that that rubs me the wrong way. But I still love that book because the the advice he gives is so good, and so that that tells you something if you like overcome the tone because the content is so good. So if this is something you're thinking about, I had a, a vet student come up to me two weeks ago and say, "Hey, I'm interested in doing." You know, different things in practice later on. What's your advice for me now? Learn to network. And so go get the book and just start meeting people. The other piece of advice I give on networking is this. I was a, a young vet and I was meeting with this guy I really look up to. His name is Dr. Bob Brown. And he um, was in Arlington, Virginia. And he had this practice and he's a great reputation. Just one of the, you know, kind of like the legends of, of practice management in the veterinary world. And I, and I contacted him really without a purpose hardly other than I just wanted to learn from him and I convinced him to to stop off at the highway exit where I was when he was coming through you know a couple a couple weeks later and so he did and I met him for breakfast at Denny's and he was there and I said to him at the very beginning I said listen I'm so excited that you're here I really I've got I just want to learn from you and I don't know how to really take the best advantage of your knowledge and he said there's two things Tell me what you're working on and ask me specific questions. And that's just the best advice I've ever had is that people come up to me all the time and they want advice, but they don't really know why. And they're right. just kind of like, just teach me. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know that I'm qualified to just teach you. I don't know what you, what you need or what you want yeah. or, or who can help you. But just what are you doing? Where are you going? What are you interested in? And ask people those questions. And that's all the, that's all the, the lead in that you need. People will help you. But you just 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 go and meet them and tell them what you're doing and ask them for their advice and people love to give their advice. That's solid. Having an an objective, like that's got to be the outcome of the networking, isn't it? Like, oh, I don't like my career. It's such a negative thing, and us vets are so like away from. I just want to get away from the pain, but not really understand what we're going to. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why we lurch from one bad practice situation to another. But I'm probably being unfair on practices here. And I know like another thing that you do really well is sort of negotiation skills. And, and like if networking is the get out of jail free or your parachute, like of where you're going next, what other things can, can doctors, technicians, nurses do in practice? Let's say they're like, and, and who's got their absolutely ideal situation ever, right? right? But let's say you are in a situation where you want something different to be happening. And it's not. How do people go about best managing their situation to a better outcome without having to push the ejector seat button? Right. Um, there's a couple of things. You know, as soon as people ask me, how do I talk to my boss about this? Or how do I get my boss to do that? So let's just say that, that you're in a job and there's something you want to change at the systemic level. My response is always another question. And I say, what does your boss care about? And it, if they say, oh, he cares about making money, great, that's super easy. Let's figure out how, what you're proposing or what you wanna do 
will generate revenue for the practice. And let's talk to him about that. And other people will say, oh, well, he's really, he's all about patient care. Great. Let's convince him of the benefits to patient care. Or they'll say, oh, he's all about the science. I was like, let's get some data to back up your position. And so who you're communicating with really drives how we're going to communicate. But talk to them about what they care about. Talk about the patients. Talk about the pets. Talk about the clients. Talk about the practice as a whole. Like those are those are our context in which we put our requests that that tend to get attention and they, and they tend to get consideration. And so that's the first thing is is think about that. The second part of it, and I, and this is really a skill that I I have I've had to work hard over my career as an associate vet is um, to say this is what I believe in. This is what I want what do I control here? And so, you know, I'm, I'm big into fear free. And so I, I like that a lot. And my practice is great, a feline friendly, you know, practice. And f- fear free is Marty Becker's driving the initiative to create veterinary workspaces for animals that are, are fear free for animals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a, a fun experience to take animals to the vet, just to clarify if yeah. people didn't know what that was. Absolutely. And, um, you know, at, at first I went into this and I was gung ho and it was brand new. And my practice has got a million things going on. It was just not necessarily a priority for those guys at, the, at that time. And so the question I, I, I took up was, what can I do? And so the next thing you know, I'm carrying lunch meat in my pocket and I've got you know, squeezed cheese and, you know, and I'm spraying pheromones and, you know, just... I just did it because, you know, this was a thing that I can control. And, you know, they they thought it was great. And the technicians just bought into it. And they were like, this is awesome. And the next thing you know, it becomes a larger protocol. Why did the technicians buy into it so, so heavily? Oh, a couple of reasons. I think, one, they saw my enthusiasm for it because I was genu- genuinely in love with it. I was like, this is great. And, and you know, um, you're sitting on the floor and not putting pets on the table. And the next thing you know, I walk in, I sit on the floor, and I've got like Vienna sausages in my pocket, you know, to use very sparingly, but, but I've not causing diarrhea here, but you know, but I've got like high value treats and I come in and I sit down on the floor and I just start talking to the owner and the pug just comes and gets into my lap and sits down. And the technicians were like, he's magical. Like he's golden. And the, and the pet owners just, they just melt in your hands. They just love it. And the dog just loves it. That, that's what I'm talking about. And so you start to do these things, and when you have success, and this is a big part of change in vet medicine, is that when you believe in something and you carry the load and you do it yourself and, you, and you're enthusiastic about it, people are watching. And when it starts to work, that's when people will be like, oh, I see that this is a good idea. And the risk for them are essentially zero now because they've, you've been the nutball that tried it. You, pil- you flew the test pilot like a maniac. And they were like, goodness gracious it flies and and now they're ready to get on and come for a ride and so just doing it is is a big part of it and the third part is at some point you do if this is not going and you're not getting the change and it's not something that you have control over you really do have to practice acceptance which is hard but you say i don't own this place and i work here this is a frustrating thing i do not like you know whatever the 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 late policy is that we've made, or I do not like how we do staff meetings. I think they're a waste of time. Well, how much does that bother you? <laughs> because ultimately you get to pick your pain. You can either have the pain and discomfort of having staff meetings you think are useless and acting like they're important, or you can have the pain of finding a new place to work. And, but you, again, you drive the boat, you have the options. And that's a powerful thing. It certainly is. You know, you're very 
driven and and the just examples we've been talking about here one of the things jumps out at me if i didn't know you already and because i do it's sort of kind of obvious to me but i'm sure like it's that passion it's that focus how do you go about bringing that energy to the projects like we see each other in a fairly rarefied atmosphere of conferences and then it's usually a fairly high energy affair how do you go about maintaining that level of energy or do you maintain that level of energy like all year round? Like, are you just exhausting to hang out with for the whole time or, <laughs> or like, how do you, how do you go about, you know, managing that? Cause energy is so important. Like right. if you can bring great energy to a project, that is a, is a powerful, powerful thing. Oh, sure. So people talk about time management all the time and time management is really important. But energy management is just as important. I mean, it, it's a resource that you have to manage is your own personal energy. And you see so many people that just drag themselves out of bed and they're not focused and they're not energetic and they just kind of slog through the day and they get home and they watch some TV and they go to bed. And, and that's not how any of us really want to want to live. And that's how you kind of lose your your passion for the profession. So energy management is all about, it's about not being on all the time. It's about just deciding that's oh it's okay to be tired and it's like you know what i'm i just i can't push this boulder right now so i'm going to just focus on doing a good job in the exam room i'm going to put this project down for a little bit and when i feel better when i'm up for it i'm going to come back and so no i don't think that you can be wide open all the time i think you have to have times where you fall back where you just forgive yourself where you just say hey for a while this is just going to be a job at the clinic and i'm going to i'm going to do a good job but it's just going to be a job. Remember to take care of yourself, you know, exercise, get good sleep, you know, meditation, whatever you need to, to clear your mind. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's it. I, I don't think that it's possible to be wide open all the time. And I think you need to be okay with that. But when you start to, to get engaged, you just, just go with it, you know, treat it like a new hobby. And I think we all get into, into hobbies where we're super pumped up about this new thing that we found. And then, you know, over time, we kind of wax and wane, and then we kind of find a new hobby to get into. It's okay to be that way in practice and say, man, I am all about dentistry. Like, put me all the way in. I'm into this. Just run that thing for nine months and, and love it. And then if you're like, you know what, I think maybe I'm going to move away from the dental CE and, and look more at, you know, some other areas, see if there's other things I'm interested in. That's the beauty of vet medicine. That's not the failure. That's not burning out. That's just doing it and now going on to broaden our horizons in other ways. You know, you see people coming in, and that is a real strength. I mean, that's certainly something I've always loved. You know, one of the things I've observed about, like, vets coming out of college now is everyone wants to look, like, everyone wants to be perfect in a heartbeat. Like, and everyone wants to do everything all of the time. It just seems that's a really flawed way of mastering. Like, mastery doesn't work that way, right? And what you just said just to totally made me think of focus on, like, focus on something, and make that your thing and then master that before you move on to something else. And I, I know I, you know, that's, that's one of the points I'm sort of made in, in my book recently, but it just completely overlapped with what you were saying there, um, having that focus and then being able to like, let it go so you can focus on something else and that helps you maintain that energy. Oh yeah. I, you know, when I talk to, to young vets, I'll talk about <laughs> be the best dessert and like, you don't, you don't want to be the blandest dessert that everyone can eat. Like, that's not what you want. You don't want to be the, the, the most unoffensive sugar cookie. Are like, we talking a blancmange like, there or something yeah, like that? Yeah, you know, that, some sort of a, I don't like a pudding maybe. I pavlova. Don't know. Australians, there's a lot of Australian listeners that probably wouldn't like me saying, 
pavlova is the sort of bland it's thing kind of a bland yeah. that doesn't turn anybody off okay yeah. I think Aussies love it, but it's not my... Yeah, no, you don't want to be that. You want to be like the lemon meringue, you know, dessert, the key lime pie, the just the, 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 the flamboyant dessert you light on fire. Like, yeah, like some, like that's what you want. Stick uh, a dynamite in the middle and just, blow yeah. cherry pie all over the wall. Something exciting, something you eat with a catapult, they just fling it at you, <laughs> you know, something, something like that. I, I'm serious here, so... um don't try to be all things to all people that's super boring and it's not going to make you happy. And it's like, be what you want to be. I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, bend this to what you want it to be. The coolest vets that I know are the ones who weave together their own interests with the clinical practice, you know? And, um, I got this email from this veterinarian and she was writing to me and she was really just concerned. I think she just wanted somebody to hear what she was saying, but essentially she, um, she was moving away because her spouse was moving and she was terrified that she wasn't going to get a new job. And the reason is because she hates surgery. Yeah. And, and she got, you know, progressively more anxious about it to where, you know, she wouldn't sleep the night before she had a surgery on the schedule because she just hated it. And finally she stopped doing them. And her current boss was okay with that. But she said, how am I ever going to find another place where I can work uh, unless I go back to surgery? I'm terrified. And I wrote her back and I was like, hey, look. I think, I think you're way off base here. I think there are practices that will love to have a vet that doesn't do, do surgery. I mean, think about all those practices where, you know, you've got the owner. He just wants to stay in the back and do surgery all day long. He's going to see you as a godsend. You work up the medicine. You do the emergency cases, whatever that, that comes in, and just hand surgery off. And he'll probably love it, and you'll love it. But I think that we, we get our mindset that we have to be everything and the truth is honestly i would say that she's more valuable than somebody who demands to do everything because then we got to figure out how to make surgery time for them it comes down to authenticity then doesn't it it's like if you're not going to be yourself you're going to be in so much internal conflict with who you are ultimately that's going to spill out in kind of a messy way and yeah like you see this all the time with practices you know practices don't know really what they want as veterinarians, very little thinking goes into that. And then doctors don't really think about what they want out of practices, you know, so they end up, you end up with this total mess of a recruitment process, a hiring process. And if, you know, like, and that's why I said people, like if you're hired, if you're writing a job advert, write the job advert for what you want. Like if you are, if you will never see a medicine case again, you're just going to stand in the theater all day long and you're not going to see any consults, well, you better not tell your assistant that they're going to get a lot of surgical time. And yet, like, you've got all the surgical toys and you're fully equipped theater fee because you're setting up a, an expectation isn't going to happen there. So, like, yeah, there's, there's, we don't have this homogenized, one-size-fit-all sort of role, do we? Like, this was a, a, a point made by Dr. John Dooley in the podcast about suicide in veterinary medicine. And he said, you know, it's a wonderful thing that we've got all this variety in it, but it's the level, it's the expectation that we have to be all things to all people and, 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 and we have to know everything and we have to have all the skills that leads to, you know, that on top of the perfectionism that seems to be quite prevalent leads to just people's self-esteem being absolutely shot to pieces. It's just not realistic, is it? No, it's no, it's not. And it, you hit the nail on the head. And you you talk about this a lot in your book. Um, expectations, both by the practice hiring the vet, the vet of the practice, the vet of the client, the client of the vet, the client of the practice. Is everybody's got these expectations, yeah. and and we really don't do much to manage those expectations. 
And so I think, I think your point is great is that most practices really don't know what they want in a veterinarian. They just want somebody who's easy to work with, which is, Hey, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value there too. Is saying, right, right. I want someone who's not toxic, <laughs> but if you're, if you're the veterinarian, you really have more leeway than you think about how you build your career and what you, what you really become. So that maybe is not too uncomfortable a segue uh, into talking about, because really that's starting to lap over into the building your personal brand. And I'm curious because I don't think a lot of my listeners are going to go out there and build up a Facebook following of 200,000 people. And I don't think a lot of them, that's on the radar or something they want to do. But I think what they would be very interested in hearing from from Dr. Andy Rourke is how does the building of a personal brand in this in the media space that you've accomplished how can the the lesson what lessons have you learned in doing that that translate down into the practice level so is that an aspiring assistant who wanted to go places like what things should they be doing in practices now in order to maintain their relationship with clients and build their reputation in local communities and and secure their place within a practice, or even if they're opening their own practice. Well, it's just be honest and be candid, I guess, about about yourself and, and about what you care about. Because people can spot a liar, and they can spot they spot a fake really easily. And yeah. so, you know, talk about what you care about and what you love. And I just started talking about what it was like to be in vet medicine and what our profession is like. And I, I do love it. I get fired up about it. And so I just started from the very beginning telling stories about things that I loved in practice. And I just started sharing things that made me laugh because they made me laugh and they didn't come off as manufactured. And I wasn't trying to write jokes. I was honestly just noticing things that we all see that make people laugh. And so I put these things out and that's really the whole essence of a personal brand is just being authentic and genuine. And so I have this certain, it's a certain style it's a certain type and there's probably some people who do not like it they think i'm a doofus and you know and he 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 wore a dog suit on a video like no doctor does that and i heard from those people they were very open in sharing with me their thoughts and i I, absolutely i totally got that but there was a ton of other people who were like i love how dorky and happy you are and how you talk about vet medicine like I, i love it and it's not that what i say is great I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any stretch, but I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve in a lot of ways. There's and, there's only two of us in this room just now, so <laughs> like right. I don't think you were paying me a compliment there because I <laughs> don't think I would describe myself in that way. Right? We're in a race to the bottom. <laughs> like I'm possibly not the dumbest guy in this room, but I'm definitely not the smartest. <laughs> <laughs> we may be, we may be wrestling in the in the mid to lower tier, <laughs> but but you get the point. You know, it's um. It's purely about just being yourself because people are starved for interaction with other people and they want to know their veterinarian. And it's not about saying what people want to hear. It's about saying what you believe and then the people that that resonates with finding you because that's how you build the clientele that you want. And that's how you build the practice that you want is not saying the thing that's going to bring everybody in. It's saying the thing that's true to you that other people hear and say, that's what I want in my veterinarian. So let's talk about this for a second, because I, th- I think we're, we're, we're getting into some interesting wars now. So a digital landscape that we now all exist in, like it or not, the matrix, let's just call it what it is. 
social media is supposed to build up our connection, but we all have our faces down and our phones all the time, and we we'll bump into things and you'll get run over in the street because we're not looking. We're, we're always looking at updates on Facebook and we're getting our little dopamine hits from how many likes and whatever. We are in the business of building relationships. Like, that's what vets do. You know, we, we trade, I think, much more on our ability to build uh, trust, build rapport than we do to trade medicine. Like, if you could give me one of those two skills, mm-hmm. be a good clinical doctor or be a good builder of relationships in the exam room, I would take the exam room one because that's what the clients are going to respond to. Mm-hmm. And I'd find somebody else to do the clinical bit. How is our interaction with these devices which seems to be creating a, a, a growing gulf in relationships like i was sat down because i'll tell you a funny story like we sat down at dinner it's over in australia recently and uh, sat down at dinner in a restaurant really like this restaurant and it was myself my wife my daughter and we we're chatting away and i'm not claiming i'm innocent of having my head you know my face in the phone from time to time the table next to us had uh husband and wife sat next to each other and their two children sat opposite them the two kids had ipads on the table and were watching uh movies i think the son was playing some sort of computer game headphones on Mm -hmm. they're at dinner in a restaurant the wife had her head down in in her phone as well and the guy was just he sat there he might as well been on his own staring at a beer like like just staring at the distance, drinking a beer. And for like, maybe that was his happy place. I don't know. But I looked at that and I thought, wow, we are social creatures. We are hardwired to interact. And, and, and that's our sort of tribal element. We're, like, I'm, I'm concerned we're losing something here. We're losing the ability to communicate in a way that we're programmed to do. How do we maintain that in, in this digital environment? How do we maintain the trust and how, you know, is it possible for us to use these things to augment that? So rather than using it as a, saying, okay, this is bad, this is a barrier, because I don't believe that, and I don't think you believe that, how do we go about making it, like, augment the relationship rather than replace the relationship? Yeah, so the best analogy that I heard for this was there was a, there was a book, and it was a number of years ago, and you know it, because it's called Hamlet's Blackberry. And so it's back when people saw blackberries. The way that they described it was, you know, all those little texts and those little notifications and stuff that you get. Imagine that you were just in the world. And then those notifications are people walking up and trying to talk to you. And if you think of the notifications and checking on your phone as someone walking up and talking to you, I think that gives great perspective of how we should engage with this. Because I'm not going to wake up in bed with my wife and roll over and just start talking where, to some random. You just be where, like, where are you going with like, this? Hey Dave, Hey Dave, glad you're here. I've been waiting to talk to you. It's like, no, like I would never, I would never call you before I had coffee yep. or, you know, anything yet. I will roll over and look at Facebook first thing in the morning, yep. which is essentially me checking in on Dave or checking in to see what's going on. Yeah. And that's ridiculous. And the same thing is like, if I'm sitting there having dinner with my wife and my kids, I don't, want people coming up to my table and trying to talk to me about random stuff. Like I I don't want that sort of intrusion into my life. Now there are times throughout the day where I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'd love to check in with my friends and see what's going on and, you know, and see what I can, what I can do for them. And that's the time I'm going to check my email and I'm going to, you know, 
check the notifications and and that just for me that metaphor has helped me keep a healthy perspective of of keeping boundaries you know and i just i don't want that intrusion when i'm having dinner with my family and i don't want it you know last thing before i go to bed i don't need to know what's going on and have people via email tell me hey you're overdue for this thing i need this thing from you I, I, don't, I don't want those 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 intrusions, and so I, I kind of treat my social life that way. I still definitely participate. I think we're all as a society going to have to come to that point of I think we went through this phase where we've just like got more connected and more connected and more connected, and at least for me, I think it's probably true for you. Now I'm getting less connected and less connected and less connected, and I check my email a couple of times a day, and honestly, I took Facebook off my phone a while ago, and I'm like Captain Facebook. Yeah, I did the but same I, thing. I just. You know, it's it's too big of a of a pull for me to have it on my phone, and I would just I would get a moment of cl- of just downtime, mental downtime, and instead of just enjoying it and putting my brain in neutral for a second and resting, I was like I would panic, like oh my god, I have nothing to do, and and out would come the phone, and I would start looking at you know at Facebook, and I think that that's just sort of a learning journey when you when you start to see that and go, this is not productive behavior, this is destructive behavior. How do we how do we so that's the negative of it, and I I fully agree with everything you said there. Um, especially the you know checking your phone last thing at night, uh, expecting something good to be in your inbox, and then something drops in, and it's like okay, that's like the next two hours of sleep just out the window there. Yep. So how do we go about? Let's talk about extension of. Okay, so we've got a, a bricks and mortar practice. Mm-hmm. How does, and a lot of the audience will be veterinary practice owners um, for this podcast. How, the, and let's start with the premise. I'll have a premise here that uh, we as a profession are still massively missing the boat on the awesome potential of digital as a marketing channel. So what do practice owners, from your experience, have to do in order to engage local communities to in- enhance that relationship rather than destroy their own part, you know, to, to go to the Thai restaurant and never have to speak to their wife and kids again. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the big things, there's really sort of two big things is one is people tune in because they want a story, you know, and every picture tells a story, but they're, they're, they're looking for stories, whether it's movie trailers or somebody's wedding or somebody's baby or somebody's new car they want to know what's going on. We're still a, a narrative-based, you know, culture. And so they want to hear your story. And so tell them a story, you know, show them what you believe in, show them your patient care, show them the good things that happened in your practice and tell them a good story and tell them your story, you know, and, and like Dave, you had this with, uh, with Northride, the vet practice you used to own, like you had this beautiful like a narrative that you would just kind of weave that was this cool, fun, kind of hip place. It just worked like gangbusters. It was so cool. Like I followed your vet practice and it was in Australia and I'm in the States. And so, you know, tell them the story and tell them your narrative. And the other thing that I will say and just try to hammer this home because this is so important. Remember that to a large degree, they don't care about you. They care about themselves. You know, they, they really do. And so talk about what you love because it's awesome and it's exciting and it's interesting. But remember that they're there because, you know, they've got a couple of minutes in between appointments uh, at the law clinic where they work or whatever, and they're looking. And so they didn't tune in to be preached at. They didn't tune in, you know, to, um, 
to be made to feel bad. They didn't tune in to necessarily be reminded of stuff they need to do. They tuned in because they wanted a mental break. And we just want to be a friend who happens to be passing by. Like when I bump into somebody in the grocery store, I don't start trying to talk to them about their vaccine status of their pets. You know, I just I ask them how their day was. You know, I ask them what was going on with them. And, and, and I'll let them know that I had, oh, man, I had the best day at work today. I just, I just saw the, some of the coolest stuff. And, you know, and, and off we go. But that's really the approach is remember, you can talk about your practice. But remember, I want to put forward things that benefit the people that are seeing it and are interesting to those people. Ultimately, they're not there because they want to learn more about me. They're there because they're looking for something. To you be know, fixed or to, exactly. Or. They either have a problem or they're just looking for entertainment or they, they just want to connect more with their community. Yeah. So just put yourself out there as part of the community. That's coming back to it's just everything's coming. Like our whole conversation keeps coming back to be authentic, yeah. be honest, be yourself, and be in some way interesting, i.e. understand what the person on the other side of the conversation I, needs. I really do think this, everything is kind of coming back around. And it, it, honestly, what seems so complex now to me just seems so basic in so many ways. It really is just it's integrity. It's being yourself, you know, running the practice that you believe in and telling your own story. And just don't try to be everything to everybody. Like do the thing that makes you happy and that will attract people. But even like, you know, on social media, and we talk about the dark side and we talk about, you know, reviews and things. Yeah. And I'll see these discussions online from veterinarians and veterinary practitioners, uh, practice managers. And they'll say, ah, oh, I had this guy and he left me a one star review and he was so angry. What should I say? Should I respond? Should I not respond? And then people will start posting suggestions of wording to use like in the response that they write. And again, this is just getting sucked up into this game. That's kind of garbage. Um, I'm not saying that stuff is not important. You know, you should get a strategy and, there, and that's a whole different conversation. There's a lot of ways to do that and do what's right. But honestly, you know what the most important piece of advice is, is quit screwing around and pick up the phone and call the person who left the review and just say, hey, I saw the review that you wrote and I was really bothered. I hate for people to not have a good experience in my practice. Can you, can you walk me through what happened? Because I, I really want to understand and there's nothing that you can write that will be as meaningful or as successful as calling. Don't call them and ask them to take the review down. Just call them and ask them what happened. And a lot of times they'll take the review down. You know, it, it really is that. But there's no, you don't have to do this digital judo if you're just running a good practice and you're just being authentic. And, you, and, and, and some people are screaming into, the, you know, into their headphones right now. But what about the people who won't listen and they're just angry or whatever it's like well you know what unfortunately those people do exist and you're not going to talk them out like you're not going to talk them out of anything you know you've just got to it's like the real world you just got to make your way in the world and keep doing what you love and and get just keep keep piling up good reviews and that's like one of the things that has become a necessity now is you should have a good system to just constantly slowly pick up those five-star reviews because you're going to get one-star reviews. It is absolutely inevitable. We got some um, like a week ago because there's a practice down the road from us. And really, like, there's, it's a one-vet practice, super nice guy. He's a really nice guy. And he just went on vacation. 
and he didn't have a relief vet or it fell through or something. He just went out, he just left. And the, he told the front desk to send the people down to our practice, which in, at first you're like, man, that's great. Until you realize that we practice an entirely different style of medicine. Like we, you know, we are a kind of a, a higher end practice and he, I don't want to say lower end practice, you know, but he's, he's, um, Servicing a different niche. Servicing a different niche. Exactly. And I say that with love and respect. I do. And so, but his clientele, when they came over, were just, you talk about failing expectations. Like the expectations they had about what the vet was when they came into our clinic were completely jarringly out of whack with what yeah. we are. Yeah. And we got torched online. We got a couple of, of like one-star reviews about the price. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And again, but you look back at and we, of course, we huddle up and we're like, guys, what happened? And we look and we're like, this person didn't even get an exam. They just, they just left. Um, I don't think you can do anything about that. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, oh, let me give you our mega discount exam because we don't have that because it's not what we do. And again, I say it with pure love, yeah. but it's just not what we do. And so right. we get bashed. There's nothing we can do about that other than keep getting five-star reviews from people who are like i love this place they're yeah. amazing i kind of underline that more and there's one other thing i would add to that and that is just the power of reframing is incredible you know you you see a lot of people and and, and it, it feels bad when you get the bad review like you have these the butterflies and it turns up all the all the doubts and and you feel you feel bad about that but the way to reframe that is to go what's good about this and for me one of the things that's good about it is that you people who would never have had the opportunity to tell you in some way how you suck and and yes there are going to be crazy people but in my experience even the crazy people there has been something like they are a tinder feel waiting to go but there's still a spark before they blaze and so if you're getting that point of feedback and it's and it and there's something in there that you can go okay we do have an Achilles heel here there's something for you to work on to improve your leadership to improve your business you can see that as a positive but yeah you have to have that system what, what's your system for getting reviews so we've got um we've got a, actually you know we're, we're tinkering around we've got an we've got an automated res response system but I'm looking at one now that I actually just saw I came across like last week and uh, in this system, we, they actually use text, uh, text messages. Yep. So we use a text message follow-up, and it says, um, we can set it up, and it says, um, how was your visit? Rate us one, which was, you know, poor to five, wow. Yep. And then they respond with one to five. And if it's a five, then it, we auto-respond with, here's, leave a, us a here's a link to, the, to where you can leave us a review. Right. And if it was one, two, or three, then our practice manager can immediately call the person right away. Like whenever yeah. they leave the review and just be like, Hey, yeah. just saw you had a bad experience. Can you tell me about that? And that's just getting out in front of it. You know, I'd much rather them vent to our manager than vent onto Facebook or vent to, you know, to the, all their friends. But it's just, you know, that, that stuff of, of moving towards, you know, tech, text messages, um, you know, the, the text feedback, the survey stuff, those are really the, the, I think that that's where we're going. That's solid. I mean, your your retention of clients, it's so much cheaper to retain a client and you can get them back. I read somewhere recently like a 5% retention in client rate improves your bottom line, your margin, or your profit, sorry, by about 30%. Yeah, 
yeah, I think I've seen the same statistic. Okay, I'm kind of conscious of, of time running along here a little bit. And so I kind of, like one of the places, the things that people are always interested in, the, the rapid fire stuff. But before we go there, the, the latest detour in your career, which I think is pretty fascinating, is your Uncharted conference. And you've been doing something a little bit different with that. And I was kind of like, I didn't want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about your motivation for doing that and how it came about and then how it's grown and you know what challenges have you faced and and like i'm really interested to get into your processes for you know you're you're taking on bigger and bigger projects how you're managing yourself your mental state your physical state in order to be able to, to continue delivering success when you're building these projects oh man that's a that's a yeah that's a big question all right um so so let me let me lay out a little bit about uncharted just so people kind of get an idea of it so it's kind of a conference we call it a conference because people can get their head around that and so really what it is is it's it's a peer mentorship community so if you think about you know everything you love about having a mentor somebody who is supportive and they have experiences and they'll call you on your on your own bs and they'll, <laughs> they'll ask you hard questions and they'll um they'll, they'll give you advice and sort of say well this is what what i might do and and they're okay if you don't take their advice. You think about all those things that you get from a mentor. Well, I'm not convinced that, um, that you have to have one mentor. I think that's probably a bad idea. Imagine if you had a community that kind of served that role and would be that sounding board and be that positive and supportive, you know, voice and, and positivity and support are just the key words for me. That's really what we were thinking about. And this wouldn't be, you wouldn't see this mentor once a year you would see them all the time and you have access to them all the time. So we really want to take a conference and, and sort of make it a virtual experience. And so that's really what we did is, is you know, we started on, we started with a Facebook groups and things like that. And so this year we had our first, you know, the first conference and what happens is people registered in like October and I wanted to keep it really intimate. Cause again, like you're going to lose that, that community feel if it gets too big. Yep. So I capped it like 125 people and, and I sent out invitations because I, I knew people that, that I was like, these are the voices I want to have there. And, and I reached out to them and said, I know these people, they're positive. They are just next level. They're doing the coolest stuff. And I invited them personally to come. And so, so they did like, you know, we got half the people who were there got these initial invites before we kind of opened up to the world. And as soon as they registered, we put them into the, into this group and started to have them connect together and get to know each other. And by the time April came around and we had our live event, they felt like they'd known each other for, you know, forever. And then all of a sudden they're seeing each other at the first event and just celebrating. And, you know, I just, I, I, I wanted something that was really special and just, I don't know, just, just the experience, just going after the experience. And so, you know, we had, um, it was catered. The food was like, took care of all the meals. All the food was great. We had, um, on Saturday night, we had five restaurants that we just had open tabs at and people just walked from restaurant to restaurant and our people were at every restaurant we had our own menus and just open bar and just, you know, just, just again, just, I didn't want people to leave and go back to the rooms. I wanted them to, to be here with this group and getting to know these other people who were just awesome people. And, and then ultimately, you know, the, the thing, the thing wraps up and, and, uh, it was all workshop based, really hands-on skill learning and then discussion stuff. And then anyway, it wraps up in April and the community has just been vibrant ever since. And, and still, I mean, we still get tons of interaction on the, we still get tons of interaction on the Facebook page and, um, we've got an online school We you know, we do a couple webinars a month and they all get archived there. We, we, um, 
We recorded the whole live conference. It's all video archived in the school for the people who, you know, who want to go back and see it. And so we're really building out this whole community. And then next year, just because you were sort of talking about grow, getting bigger, next year we're actually doing two conferences. We're going to do Uncharted is in April, and it is marketing and strategy, like practice strategy, career strategy. And then in October, we have Get Shit Done is the name of the conference. It's Uncharted <laughs> G- it. It's GSD. It's an operations conference. It's yep. time management, personnel management, exam room communication, just bang, 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 the, just ops, get, yep. getting, getting the work turned out. So anyway, that's, that's, that's what it is. I came around to it because, you know, and you hit the nail on the head when you were, you were talking about the value of, of networking, and that's just been a big deal for me. And, you know, I think about the conferences that have meant a lot to me, and I've been traveling for, you know, six, seven years, going to tons of conferences. And there are some of them that have just been amazing. And, and I've, every time I go back home and I sit and I think about why, like why was that conference incredible? And I've just been pulling together all the things that I think make a great conference. And part of it was just a challenge of, can I recreate the magic that I saw here and mash it together with the magic I saw here and the (laughs) magic I got from over here and just squish them all together and just blow it up. It's the Jive Bunny mix up of conferences. Oh, I mean, it really is. There's definitely kind of a Frankenstein of awesomeness that that I found. (laughs) But, But a big thing was I had a mentor early on and he had this thing he called the forum group. And so it was a local thing, and he and 11 other people were all in this group, and they were all from totally different industries, but they would get together once a month, and they would discuss their businesses and how things were going and what they were dealing with. And they were all very supportive of each other. And after, they've been doing this thing for 30 years, and they were all just, I mean, all of them, just massively successful. And they, they, he just, my mentor just attributed it back to this group and this support. And I wanted to manufacture that. I think too often we all end up, you know, isolated and alone. And I just want to tear that apart and just pull people together into this group. So that's how, that's what it is. And that's where the idea came from. And that's why it's this focus on this community is, is so strong. And so it's, it's grown because, you know, I started out and it was super scary. You know, you're, you're like, you know, sign, I'm signing this, this contract with this, with this hotel. And I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll, yeah. A hundred hotel rooms. Yeah. No problem. I'm sure people <laughs> will buy them, you know? And I know I, 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 you know, I've run my projections backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And, you know, I think the numbers are solid. I think it's going to work, but it was still definitely putting yourself out there. And so it, it was stressful, but, um, you know, I fall back on the things that I always fall back on, which is networking, coming to people, telling them what I'm working on, ask them specific questions, you know, and, and just getting some validation. But the other thing that has helped me more than anything is if I have, if I have any real talents, it's, um, it's spotting talent in other people and just recognizing what they're good at. And oftentimes it's before they even recognize what they're good at. You, I can see it from the outside pretty clearly. It's like, aha, I know exactly what she's good at. I think, I think, um, and then saying, you know what else she would be good at? She would be good at this other thing I need help with. And so it's, it's, it's recognizing awesome people and recognizing their skills and then putting them into the spots where they can just, where they can just excel. And I've done that again and again. So now I've got, you know, um, half dozen people who are kind of officially on my team and they just, they, they, we have a great, we got great culture and, and they just work together and they're, they're really in roles that I think they just, they just crush. And that's, that's really been the, the key to all of it. None, none of this would happen without them. Let's move into our short form questions now because okay. we're going to get kicked out of this. 
room where the conference center is going to close up or something sure. like that. So I think we've covered like a lot, like you've just actually answered the first one, which is what's the thing you do better than anyone else. So we'll put that one down as your superpower. Yep. So what's your kryptonite? Oh man. And how'd you address it? So, so yeah, it's, um, I, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's organization and actually executing on the mundane. Like that's the stuff that kills me. Like you give me a big idea you give me something that seems impossible to do and I will go after that dragon with, you know, with my flaming sword and I just, I won't stop. But if you're like, here, file, file this basic paperwork. I just, I just can't do it. I just, I just, it's torture for me, that basic stuff. So I, I am, I'm so bad at it. Uh, so have you addressed it? Oh man, I've got, um, I assume you've addressed it. The I, IRS aren't I, about I, to oh, kick in the back doors here. And exactly. No, no. A hundred percent back to sort of back to what we were talking about before. Uh, Jamie Holmes is, uh, a, a practice manager and an organization guru. And I, I found her along the way. Uh, I met her through a mutual friend and I had her, um, help me get, uh, continuing education credits for for our course that we right, did right. together yeah so jamie helped me out with that and then i just we just worked so well together and she is just the yin to my yang and just you know super organization lockdown and she's not shy about following up with me and being like hey have you done this thing yet or i'm gonna ask you again tomorrow <laughs> and, and i know that that's probably frustrating for her but she handles it with such grace She's and that's calm, it. firm, and uh, absolutely grounded. Yeah, totally. I mean, completely. And she, you know, she's got a program. Everything's on the calendar, and it's just it just amplified my abilities tenfold to have this rock solid base and have her just checking the boxes, making the checklists. I mean, our, I just can't overstate how how much value she brought just because of her personality, just because of her skills in the areas where I'm weak, and and if I pat myself on the back. I delegated to her. Yeah. I, I, I gave it to her. And when she said, hey, I need you to do this, I, I did it. You know, like, like technically on paper, I'm the boss. You would not see that if you saw us <laughs> together. She, <laughs> she totally runs it. And, and it's just, it couldn't be better. All right. So now you are like um, veterinary god floating around over all of veterinary medicine. <laughs> I don't and know about you, that. If you... <laughs> It's like this is what you dream of every night, isn't no, it? It's not. <laughs> that I'm terrible. teasing. Um, what thing? If you had this, if you had the superpowers, if you change one thing in veterinary medicine, what would that thing be, and why? Oh man! So this is a a paradoxical answer in a way. Um, it, in the short term, I I I would want to fix the student debt problem. You know, the vets coming out, we come out with so much debt, and it just strains. It strains all the finances, you know. I mean, everything that we try to do in our in our profession is kind of tainted now because of the debt that people come out with. And you know, you and I are here teaching them how to how to how to run practices or sort of build the careers that they want. But the fact that they're dragging a two hundred thousand dollar you know ball and chain behind them at the start, it just it makes everything exponentially harder. And it can still be done. It can still be done. But it just makes things so much harder. So, I mean, if I just had to pick something, my first instinct is just snap that chain. Um, if we could have young doctors coming out, young technicians too, coming out of tech school, um, coming out without that weight, I think that we could open up so many more doors for them and, and the financials of our, practice, of our profession would work much better. The longer sort of view of it is to say 
if I couldn't do that, if I couldn't erase the student debt, then I would want to have new graduates and, and existing veterinarians flip flip their mindset to start thinking about this as a business. And I, I know why we hate thinking of vet medicine as a business. I, I totally do. Yeah. But I, it seems paradoxical to me that we hate to think of it as a business at the same time that we're saddled with six figures of debt. You know, I, you can't hold both of those things in your mind at the same time. It's like, I've got this crushing debt and I don't want to talk to people about money or I question the value of what we charge for our services. Those, those things don't jive. Just one of the many paradoxical thoughts that go on in, in our brains as vets, I think. What was the best piece of advice you've ever given or received? Let's go this way. What was the best piece of advice you've ever given, and what's the worst piece of advice you ever received? The best piece of advice, you, and you can flip it right. Oh, it can, it like, can be the other way as well. Like holy cripes! Um, there's a couple of them that come to my mind. Oh, you know, all right, here, here you go. Um, I was uh, you, and you asked me a little bit a while ago about sort of managing time and things, um, and sort of trying to get everything done. I was talking to to Dr. Marty Becker a while ago. And my schedule was just so full and I was working in the practice a lot and I was traveling a lot. And I've, I've got, I've got young kids, they're six and nine years old and they're really the center of the world for me. And, 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 you know, I feel like I've done a good job of prioritizing them and spending good time with them. We've got a really great relationship, but I'm, I'm very, I'm very aware of that, you know, and, and that's, that's why I think, I think we've, we're as close as we are is because I, I really pay a lot of attention to that. And so I just kept getting busier and busier and busier. And I came to a point where I kind of had to decide how I was going to handle that. And I was trying to decide, do I, you know, am I going to stop doing some things? Am I going to start turning away opportunities that I really want to do just for time and things like that? And so I was talking to Marty Becker and, uh, and I said, what do you think? Should I turn these things away? And, and he said that his advice was, and he does this, he goes through at the beginning of the year and he sets aside time for himself and just says, I am, I am going to work as hard as I can work during the day. You know, like I'm going all in, but when I choose to be off, I'm going to take this time and I'm going to be away. And that was, that was a, that was sort of an interesting thought for me to actually just say, I could work this week. I'm just, I'm just not going to work this week because I'm a, I'm a guy that will, you know, I've gone years between vacations. I just, I love to work. I love to do stuff and I'll have, I'll have off time. You know, I, I do a good job of taking breaks and being present with the family and doing stuff I love to do. And I've got hobbies that I do, but the idea of just, of just blocking whole sections, you know, uh, five days and be like, I am gone this time. That was kind of, I mean, and it sounds ridiculous, but that was kind of a new idea to me. So that's kind of been a game changer for me is, is to really work hard and do a lot and then just unplug and be just, just gone for five, seven days, something like that. So I love it. That's, that's been it. The worst advice I gave, <laughs> the worst advice I gave, um, is, there's probably a lot of those too, but, um, you get what you pay for, I guess. So I, I, I give out a lot of advice. Some <laughs> of it is not good. And, and we, you know, you, um, you know, that that's just the truth of the matter. And so if you ever receive advice from anybody, realize that they might be wrong. Um, but I, I was uh, about a year out of vet school and two of my classmates wanted to meet to talk to me about this idea that they had. And they said that they wanted to start this company that would do hospice care, like in-home hospice care. And their idea was that they were going to, um, 
they could work with veterinary practices. And so if you didn't want to go and do a house call euthanasia or house call hospice care, you could refer to them and then they would go out and do it. And they asked me what I thought. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. And they said, why? And I said, well, because, you know, as a vet, I wouldn't want to refer that business away. I would want to you know, build those relationships myself. I just, I can't see veterinarians referring this business away. I, I, I don't know. I'm really struggling with this. And they said, oh, well, thanks a lot. And then they left. Well, it was Dr. Mary Gardner and Dr. Danny McVitie, and they, their, their hospice business was called Lap of Love Vet Hospice. And they've got, you know, 150 <laughs> veterinarians, something ridiculous like that across the U.S. <laughs> now. And they're just, they're like in every major metropolitan area. And they just are, um, are doing great stuff. And they've done great stuff for our profession. They really have. And I just, I think about that. And I was like, man, I told them it was a bad idea. And I was so terribly wrong. And, and I asked myself why, and I think there, I, I think I learned a valuable lesson giving this bad advice. And it was that I was looking at it from my own point of view as a veterinarian. I was like, oh, well, I wouldn't refer this away. I don't want to do that. But the truth, the hard, hard truth is there are pet owners that wanted that service and there are veterinarians that wanted to deliver that service. And that's what matters. And so that was a hard pill for me to swallow, but it really hammered home the point to me that sometimes what I want does not matter or what, what's good for veterinarians in our current model doesn't matter because change is coming and sometimes change is not convenient for all parties. But if it's really convenient for the party that's paying the bill and there's people willing to provide the service, that change is probably going to come. And so that, that's really influenced a lot of how I think about where we're going now, leveraging technology, things like that. Okay, so if you were to recommend a book that, that's had the biggest impact on you, just one, which book would that be? Um, oh, boy. Probably the most influential book that I ever got. is It's this weird book that most people probably haven't heard of, but it's called Negotiate This by Caring But Not That Much. That's what it's called. It's, it's by this guy. His name is Herb Cohen. He used to uh, be a professional negotiator, and he wrote this book. Um, there's an audio version. He's got this thick, like New York accent. And it's amazing because he just, he just illustrates all of his points. He tells these stories and which obviously clicks with me because I love, I'd love to learn that way. And I love to teach that way. But, um, it really taught me how to negotiate back. I read it in vet school. I probably read that book six times and it's just, it's been so, so meaningful for me in, in negotiating and in, in, in sort of persuading and laying out what I think is important and, and why. Okay. Now we've talked a little bit about digital mobile devices and things. So what's the, what's the app you use the most or have the most love for at the minute on your phone? Oh man. On my, I have to, I have to look real quick. I'm like, which one do I love? <laughs> which one do I love? Oh, Slack. Yeah. I use Slack all the time. So Slack is a communication app for you know for teams um I, I i love it in vet hospitals i've seen vet hospitals using it really really well my team uses it really really well it's just it's um if you're one of those people who feels just buried in you've got text message chains you've got email chains you've got facebook messenger chains and they're all related to your job all those chains can go away they can all be in one place you can track all your conversations and so that that's slack so i i use slack more than anything and it's a beautiful way for me to keep my my home life separate from my work life and just keep everything there and just i, I just i love it it's it's made my life so much better 
Cool. All right, we're down to the last three questions, and they're going to be fairly quick fire, I think. If you could give yourself one piece of advice back when you graduated as a veterinarian, what would it be? Just not to worry so much about what was about what would happen. Not to worry so much about the future, I guess, is a big thing. That doesn't mean to, like, don't work hard, but don't worry about the future. I really believe in the advice, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. And so, you know, I started off and I was going to own a vet practice. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> and I, I've never owned a vet practice. <laughs> I, I keep, like, one day I'm going to own a vet practice. And it, I started working as an associate and I started writing and I started speaking. You're going to have to stop doing all the other stuff I, I know, first. <laughs> I know. And, I, and I, I absolutely, I have no illusions about how much work it is to run a vet practice. I know it, I just, it does not fit in my schedule now. But I, but I, I still romanticize it. Um, but I, it freaked me out forever. And I, I, the amount of hours I wasted worrying about finding a practice and buying a practice, and ultimately, it's just never materialized. Like that was all wasted time and energy. Wasted energy. It was. I mean, I should have been working on being the best vet that I can be right now, and doing the things that I love, and learning the things that I'm passionate about. And like, I, that's the advice I would give to myself. Awesome. Uh, what's the most controversial thing people don't know about you but matters? Oh man, the most controversial thing about me? Oh gosh, I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm. I'm not very controversial. I um. Oh, I don't know. I I, I have to, I have to wrestle with it. What is the most controversial thing about? I um. I'll tell you. I hope that um. I, I, I you was vote, you voted for Trump. Well, I was. No, <laughs> Is that I what you were going to say? I was. I was rooting for Stannis Baratheon in Game <laughs> of Thrones. I wanted. I was pulling for Stannis. I thought no, Stannis no, was going to pull it out. This will. This is. This is going to go out after. Apparently, it's going to. I hear there's a. a a Game of Thrones sort of uh, party on Saturday night happening. Somebody's got a hotel room. One of the speakers is setting that up, and is there's going to be like a, I will be a Game of Thrones end of season party to watch it. Uh, which I can categorically tell you I wouldn't be going to. But it wouldn't be a spoiler if you tell us what happened just now because this will go out probably a couple of months from now. So. Oh, yeah. No, Stannis, I, th- I thought Stannis Baratheon was going to be... Uh, yeah, I thought he was going to rule the Seven Kingdoms uh, in Game of Thrones. But no, he was he was actually killed <laughs> by, by Ramsay Bolton in like the sixth season. Fairly brutally. Yeah, fairly brutally. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that no, narrows that was, it down. That was a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> all right last one then if you could send one tweet and the world could see it what would it say um say um thank your veterinarians <laughs> and thank your veterinarians and vet techs that's what i would say you know that's i yeah i don't know i, I if i could send the message out into the world at, at large i would just i don't know how exactly how to do it but i would want people to understand how much everybody who works in vet practices gives of themselves to take care of their pets. Like that's the, that's the secret message that, that so much of the stuff that I put out that underlines it, you know, it's, it's, it's really about trying to get your regular Joe Schmo pet owner to understand that we're trying to help them and trying to understand how much we care. And so I don't know what that would be in one tweet, but that, that yeah, that's not 140 characters. But with your skills, I'm, I'm sure you'd get that <laughs> whittled away in no time. I'm going to go to my room and work on it. I think you should. Andy, fantastic speech. Thank you so much for your valuable time for, for being available. <laughs> uh, I, now I, I feel bad about that. I was like, I hope he knows <laughs> I was kidding. I was totally <laughs> I kidding. I knew you were kidding. Um, I might drop, I might. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, 
if they want, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to swell your already sizable Facebook <laughs> following, and or follow you on Twitter, or go online, where where do they find Dr. Andy Roark? Yeah, drandyroark.com is probably the best place. D r a n d y r o a r k dot com. There, there is just a plethora of really fantastic content there. Um, very, very valuable. You will not find that time badly spent i assure you thank you andy much appreciate the time and uh i'm i'm sure if uh, if listen if people have got questions that are better than my questions and you want to send them in i'm sure at some point we could drag andy back for a, a round two so you can always send in questions thank you andy all the best mate yeah thanks see buddy. you soon bye smokes wasn't that a good interview i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did and my thanks of course to dr andy for being such a good sport and giving up his time passion and energy quite freely there now if you enjoyed the podcast please don't forget to like it and subscribe on itunes better still leave a review or a star rating the higher the better and if you want to hear more from me, then you can find me and follow me on Instagram.com forward slash Dr. Dave Nickel, Facebook.com forward slash Dr. Dave Nickel, and on my website, www.drdavenickel.com, uh, where you can subscribe to my weekly email newsletter called The Hamster Wheel. Until next time, be safe, be well, be happy.